Your attention, please. Paul and Alex are required to proceed to the gate immediately. What? No way. What is happening here? This is the last call for the Layovers podcast. Really? Come on, man. This is our thing. We got this. Oh, yeah. And we made it. Of course, geeks. Flight 54 to Brandenburg. No, of course not to Schoenfeld. Hi, Alex. Yeah, there's so <laughs> many stories with this airport. So many stories. You just went there. You were asking me, should I go Tegel? Should I go Schoenfeld? I have a slight preference for Tegel, but I think you did Schoenfeld, right? We did. Yeah, we did. And I didn't know that you'd be able to see this new, maybe new, one day new airport in Berlin from... <laughs> From 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 Schoenfeld, and I'll tell that story a little bit later. But uh, yeah, geez, what a train wreck! Yeah, these airports are not truly up to standards. I mean, they're okay. I mean, you'll tell the story, but Schoenfeld will do Tegel one day, and maybe in ten years down the line, when we'll have still this show on, we'll do Brandenburg, where it will be. Uh, open <laughs> <laughs> well, so uh, this is the podcast where we talk about first world problems. A lot of people always say, "Guys, we travel vicariously with you because you guys are always uh, going in the front of the cabin." It's actually not true, but this time it is, and this episode will be, because obviously, Alex, because I just had flown for the first time, Cathay Pacific had to one-up me, (laughs) had to kind of say, okay, Paul, you know what, I'm going to take the challenge, and you flew Cathay Pacific in a better class than me, which means first, so go tell the story, because I'm jealous, and I'm I'm just going to leave and have a coffee when you say that, (laughs) because I hate you. (laughs) You know, it was was amazing, and it was all... An accident, right? Lucky. Yeah, it was an accident. No, not it wasn't an accident. It was an F up on my part. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah, because because I yeah, I should have actually led with that because everybody knows us as the people we usually do these crazy travels and we have these amazing schedules and we're very like almost anal about doing this and you effed up a travel by missing a day. I mean, God, what? Yeah, Alex. You know, Alex. and I was so embarrassed and I was kicking myself. But it was one of those things where the flight was at five past midnight. I I just assumed, like, I want at the very end of this day, not five minutes into the next day. And, of course, I did it, the flight, 24 hours too early. Because I needed to do <laughs> London, Hong Kong, Hong Kong, Paris, because I had a yeah. speaking gig in Paris. I'd booked it our day too early. So I would have really only had, I would have been in Hong Kong for maybe, I don't know, 16 hours which was barely enough to do the commitment I had there on the ground, let alone actually enjoy it. But when I called and tried to fix it, the flight to Paris was full. Hmm. And I was like, oh, man. And then I said, okay, well, look, you know, anywhere in Western Europe is fine. And I'll figure it out from there. And everywhere was full. London, Amsterdam, <laughs> Dusseldorf, the timing for Dusseldorf didn't work out. Zurich, a few others didn't. If they had seats, they didn't have good connections onto on, onto Paris for me, or you know, Orly or Charles de Gaulle. So eventually, I was working with the travel agent because uh, they had uh, booked it for me, so I couldn't fix it myself. And she found a flight to Frankfurt, and I was like, Frankfurt's fine. There's a million flights to Paris from Frankfurt. It'll be fine. So she took care of it, and I ate the change fee, which you know wasn't the end of the world. But then she sends me the ticket and it says first. And I was like, well, <laughs> I, I was only supposed to be in business class. And I uh, went and looked and business was sold out and they were selling business as a first class seat, which I'd never seen before, but it was basically the same price. So if you looked for business class on Cathay, it was 
showing is available, but it was with the sort of asterisk saying first class. And so I went and I was like, this is clearly a typo. This is clearly a mistake. <laughs> but I pulled up the reservation and sure, no, no. I mean, it was the same price as, as business class. So yeah, it was purely through my own stupidity and complete disregard for time zones that I got to fly in first class on Cathay. In a nutshell, first, you completely missed one day. I mean, this never happened to me, I think. No, like, you know, I'm like so freaked out about doing this, you know, especially when I fly Emirates. You have these flights leaving at like five minutes yes. past midnight and I check like five times. I'm like, is it really the day I want to leave? But also you use an external travel agent because both of us, when we have speaking engagements or clients, we try to avoid as much as possible to rely on travel agents, not because they're bad, but because then it's not flexible because you have to call them if you have to exactly. change your flight or whatever. That's the only reason why I don't like doing it. <laughs> you were telling me because, of course, I, I was living through all what <laughs> yeah. Alex just said live. And you said, uh, well, look, uh, I think she made a mistake. And I was like, so I should actually think of using a travel agent because if a travel agent actually upgrades me in first without me knowing, I would actually love that. I don't, I'm not 100% sure that she knew either. No, she I just, think she, she just yeah, booked she just, whatever fare bucket was available. And since they were selling first as technically as business class, I'd never seen that before where they roll J availability up correct. into first. I'd nope. never seen that, but no, I was hardly going to I've been upgraded at the gate for that at a few points, especially Emirates, because, you know, with higher status, I mean, they will bump you, but I've never actually had that. So to the actual product, how was it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was, it was amazing. I flew over on business class, which was fantastic. You know, you've experienced that. I got to use the first class lounge at Heathrow, which is really, really good. The first and business lounge at Cathay are just amazing in Heathrow. I can't remember if we talked about this in the previous episode, but the first has got a great view. It's quiet. It's really comfortable and cozy. The business class lounge has got a phenomenal restaurant, the noodle bar and all of that stuff. Business class was was great. The first class lounge, which you've been to in Hong Kong, the, the, uh, well, the pier, the, pier the, ah. the new one, is incredible. Ah. Yeah, it is. Uh, and I spent a long time there. I spent about four hours at the airport because I had a few conference calls I needed to do. Yeah, right. You wanted to be in the well, pier that for too. four hours. But it, was like, it was like, the option was, do I stay in my hotel room and you know, just make it to the airport in time because my conference calls were obviously in the UK. Or do I go to the, the airport lounge. early and, and work Have from the Have a Betsy. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the first class was amazing. You know, we talked about this uh, on Twitter with uh, with our friend and dear listener, Kobus in South Africa. Is the physical product better than Emirates? No, absolutely not. It's still very, very good. It's sort of yeah, a slight on, yeah. herringbone configuration, really wide, comfortable seat, yeah, very comfortable bed, lovely thick duvet and pillow. They give you these, they work with a company and I'm uh, I'm just picking up the bag right now. This company called Pai, P-Y-E in Hong Kong, who are a, a local kind of tailor and, and clothing company. And so you get these beautiful linen bags that are branded with Cathay with your pajamas in them, which were like traditional Chinese button-up, no-collar pajamas, and these lovely slippers. I actually have one set. I've never flew first, but I have one set. I'll tell the story afterwards. They're really good. They're really comfortable. Yeah, so the seat's great. The IFE is great. That doesn't change from business class. The food was excellent, and it was like... Come on, of course. You know, you get the caviar, and and they, I was telling my wife the other night, you know, they bring you the caviar, and they say, and of course, it's with the mother of pearl spoon and with the, the chopped egg. I don't eat caviar very often, so I was like, oh, okay, yes, of course, of course it comes with the chopped egg. I was just about <laughs> to ask where the chopped egg was. 
And you know, <laughs> I knew about the mother of pearl spoon because apparently that will make sure that uh, the metal doesn't react with the caviar. Yeah. And then, of course, a lot of incredible vintage champagne and all that. Krug, Krug. is it on? Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is great. The problem was that push back five past midnight, you're not really in the air until quarter to one in the morning. And then we had really, really severe turbulence for the first three hours of the flight. The cabin crew had to strap in for like the 45 minutes of it. The captain told us ahead of time, you know, there's a jet stream that runs across this part of China that we're going to go. We don't know how long it's going to last. We don't know how severe it's going to be, but just so you know. And sure enough, we did. The captain was great and said, this is what's happening and this is the data I'm seeing. I think it's probably going to last another 15 minutes. It lasted about 25 minutes more. But you really couldn't enjoy the meal because, you know, you had your your starter, then the crew had to strap in, and then they brought the rest of it, then they had to strap in again. So it was disjointed. That's not their fault at all. Of, of course. course not. No, no, of course not. Yeah. Um, but the, I think... You know, physical product is good. You know, the food is good. Are they better than some of the Middle Eastern carriers, maybe Singapore Airlines? No. But what makes it was the service, the little handwritten note that I got with my meal, yeah. welcome yeah. back, and, you know, all of that stuff. Uh, just the attention to detail, the conversations. There were six seats in first class, three flight attendants, which wow. is amazing. Yeah. The breakfast, which is always terrible on airplanes, was, was was really good. Just It was a complete experience, which is what I always appreciate, you know, in my professional life as well, looking at customer experience. Same, yeah. The, the yeah. entire package, not just... Yeah, that's in, what we're looking for, right? We're exactly. Looking for these, yeah, exactly. When we work with clients, we work there, these kind of seamless, almost a convergent, like the, it seems that everything is... The seams are all very well lined up. This is what the experience should be, right? Yeah. And at the end of the day, this is why, even though I agree probably, I've only seen the seat walking past it on our latest flight with uh, CX. But even though the seat might not have a door, for instance, like mm -hmm. Asiana or, uh, or Etihad or obviously Emirates, at the end of the day, does that really matter? It's really the overall experience that you, you want and pay for if you pay that kind of prices, which we don't pay, yeah. obviously. But. Well, no, exactly. I, I you know it was the little touches, I think. And yeah. I, I really appreciate the fact that they're working hard to partner with a lot of Hong Kong brands. So I had a Betsy in flight, which is the first time I had it in flight. And you're absolutely so spot it? on. It tastes yeah, different right. and better. Yeah, see? See? Yeah, exactly. It's perfect in flight. So that's a very... And I really hope they don't discontinue it because they were saying that it was only like, what, three, six months? I don't remember. I really hope they actually will continue it because it's uh, it's also, by the way, guys, it's also available in economy, right? It's not only reserved yeah, to yeah. first-class passengers. If you fly CX and if you like beer, try it. It's really worth the experience in the air. It's it's really, really well made, honestly. Yeah, it was it was really, really good. And I just just the whole experience. I loved the, having the, the four windows available to look at, although it was a night flight for most of it. That didn't, didn't really... I just, it was good. The whole package was fantastic. The food was fresh and well presented. It was great. It was really, really impressive. I love Cathay. They're going through a really tough time. They just laid off 600 people. Yeah, I was about to say that. They just, uh, yeah, it's the biggest round of job cuts uh, in 20 years. It's actually pretty, I mean, we said, you remember like multiple episodes that this, this was coming for the yeah. summer. It's early summer, maybe, but it's a big one, right? It is a big one. It is a big one. And But you don't feel it. I mean, the service was exemplary. Morale seemed high. So, yeah, I, you know, I wish them the best because it's a great product. And like I said, I appreciate them working so hard to reinforce their Hong Kong route with working with Hong Kong brands. 
Yeah, no, I agree. No, I, coming back to these layoffs, they're looking at a 30% cost reduction at HQ in Hong Kong. Uh, some people say that they should also kind of let go a little bit of the swire mentality. And yeah, go there's, a bit there's been a few looking. articles about that, hasn't there, where they've said, look, you need to stop hiring from within your own gene within, pool yeah, yeah. Uh, and bring in some fresh. But although the because they have a new CEO there, Rupert Hogg, who was a COO for a while. And I think, you know, we'll give him a chance because he's had to make some tough decisions from the beginning and yeah. he hasn't been in the position that long. So, you know, good luck, guys, because you do great yeah. work. They want to save 4 billion Hong Kong dollars within the next three years. So that's a lot. I mean, you mentioned the Middle East, obviously, but also the Chinese airlines are, are also eating in their market, which is the reason why they all Cathay Dragon play, yes. actually, because they need to go there as well. So, uh, I mean, I flew them only once, but uh, it's very easy to fall in love with such a company. And I know because I've had that first world problems. I've had people telling me, and now probably they will tell you because you've spoken about that experience, that guys in the economy is not the case. Obviously, in economy, it's not, but that's in every airline. And we know that uh, a lot of what we talk about in this podcast is sometimes first world problems. But still, you can admire when a company uh, does a great product, yeah. whether it's soft or hard product. Emirates uh, has also, I mean, there's differences, right? It's a younger company. Emirates is a great product. Probably, I will say that in terms of the pajamas, is we're talking about the pajamas, my favorite pajama is actually not Emirates. I have like quite a few because I always keep them after my flights. <laughs> <laughs> I even have like many versions, you know, they've evolved over time because that's, I think the first time I was in first class on, uh, on Emirates might have been uh, six, seven years ago. So now there's a slightly different. The best one is actually Asiana. Uh, it's my oh, favorite wow. one. Yeah, it's, uh, it's also like, you know, no color. Uh, it's a zipper though, this one, but it's a very, very, very comfortable one. And I, I keep that preciously. I don't even use it too much. I don't want to, because I will not have the chance to fly Asiana first very, very often. That was my long flight, remember, from yeah. Incheon to uh, JFK's uh, like 14 hours uh, last year uh, and uh, yeah, I wanted to say because I forgot last time about CX do you have a favorite type of uh, eye shade that's is there a, a one that's what a airline question that does... you know what I've got the Cathay one in front of me right here I like this one the Emirates one is, is really good as well this one is like super soft I was about to say that but I have because... a huge huge head so <laughs> so it's so, some of them well yeah that too but some of them struggle to contain my uh, <clears throat> my cranium and this one does so well done Cathay I was the other day stupid story uh, I was the other day at security at Ethro it was super early and uh, the guy you know I got randomized on the x-ray so like I have to go through the machine you know, like you have to put your hands up. And when you go out, the guy says, anything sharp on you? And I look at him and say, besides my mind, nothing. And then I say, what the hell? <laughs> Thank God he actually laughed at it. That was, that was really bad. Uh, so yeah, I was, the reason I asked you that is because up to now, for me, my by far my favorite eye shade was the first class of Emirates. It's really soft. And also, especially what I enjoy is that it doesn't ruin your ears after like several hours of actually wearing them. Some of the other, we have like these very thin elastic bands after a while, they really gets yeah. uh, like inside of your skin yeah. or something and I really dislike them so and I only had the Cathay Pacific business class but it's up to that standard it's very very nice yeah to... these are great these I travel great. with them now because I always have a set of Emirates first class with me and now I actually kept the Cathay Pacific because even sometimes you know at hotels and I want to I'm jet-lagged and I want to sleep I will put uh, these kind of eyeshades you know on they're really it's, really good uh, it's one of the most underrated travel tips I always carry one of one of these yep. uh, eyeshades Same. and a set of earplugs because more and more and again as Paul says contrary to popular belief I certainly 
only travel in the cheap seats more than I travel in the pointy end. And more and more long haul carriers, even the quote unquote full service ones, don't provide them anymore. You know, even if even if you want to take a nap or, you know, on EasyJet, yeah, you're doing anywhere, a two and a half, yeah. three hour flight at 11 o'clock at night, which I just did last week. The lights are on the whole time because they have things they need to sell you. Yep. So it's an, <laughs> yeah. um, oh, actually, you know what? That reminds me. There's one thing that part of the CX first class experience that sucked, and that was the amenity oh. kit. Oh. Terrible. Oh, so bad that I, really? I just left it. I, usually I collect them. Yeah, me too. It was oh my just, god, I didn't know that. Me it, too. <laughs> it was like a, you know, it was just like a bunch of crap was thrown in there. There was not. It wasn't like even the business class one. I don't think I have it with yeah, me. Yeah, I have, I have up, one. Yeah, everything is slotted into the little elastic band. Yeah. This was just a bunch of stuff dumped, and I almost feel like I got somebody else's secondhand one. <laughs> it was really. It was really bad. And, you know, I look at the the Emirates business one and it's got all these like Bulgari, uh, Bulgari you know, yeah. uh, scents and all that stuff. And again, yeah, they have uh, like a, a nice leather pouch. I, I think they changed. Now leather is only on first. Uh, it was, again, they were involving. I've also had uh, Thai and Asiana. I remember they have these, uh, a, a small Rimowa a suitcase you know like a lookalike of a suitcase but super tiny and you have a so yeah it, these are like uh, nice to keep but like ba is disappointing i find as well it's like yeah. a pouch where a few things thrown inside but yeah i have the cx1 but i didn't use it so i didn't actually even open it i have the, the, it there the, but their, their business one is good the first one was just it was really really bad it i mean it's well, such a small thing but it was part of the experience like we just talked about and it was it was yeah. not good by the way, it's strange how sometimes actually I forget that I collect them when I'm on a trip, especially when I do multiple legs, mm-hmm. and I actually keep them in carry on, and nobody says anything at security. You know, oh, the yeah. small. I yeah, didn't it even think to about me. that. Yeah, it happens many times to me that I forget that I have like a, you know some face cream or whatever they give you, and I forget to put it in the, in the plastic bag you're supposed to put them in, and nobody says anything. That's true. Um, in fact, I did a... that when I did my four legs on Emirates around almost around the world, and I hoarded all of them. Yeah. Never once did I get any. <laughs> Yeah, issue with that yeah yeah that's Actually, a bit disturbing the, the other the other day i was for the first time uh, again tired not the same morning i just experienced another morning because you know this tendency of taking the first flights out these past uh weeks i've taken over uh, 20 legs and uh, every single one leaving from Heathrow was always the 6 30 a.m you know the very early yeah. ones because i like those flights i mean i always regret it when i put the alarm clock but i liked leaving early and uh, i forgot to actually remove my belt so i had removed everything and i passed through i was like really? oh Actually, probably you know I was within the yeah some within of them the acceptable are, levels thing, right yeah exactly and I had nothing else on me because then I was looking on the you know on, on the tray was where's my belt where's my belt and like oh it's on me uh, so wow. <laughs> anyway so um, before we move on to more travels because you've done as well a few ones uh, I want to acknowledge a few of the guys that uh, have left us reviews because it's always so kind of you guys to do that whether it's on Facebook and especially on iTunes so thank you so much. I have here Packel's Not My Name from Germany. <laughs> <laughs> the title of the review is uh, Make Aviation News Great Again. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I'm a proud aviation enthusiast uh, doing a wonderful job sharing their insights. I personally like the episodes when they have guest speakers. Yeah, we, yeah, we, we need keep to do promising that. you. Yeah, we need to do that. But it's like, again, look, I've been exactly, that's my third day in London in the month of May, so since we last recorded. And uh, I'm leaving tomorrow morning again, first flight out to Madrid with the 777, actually. That's really 
really cool. That is cool. Uh, so we're winging it currently because we both are under very heavy travels. We'll starting in the summer. We'll have more time, and then we'll invite obviously uh, guests again. So we promise yeah. you that uh, he hopes to meet us at one point in person. And he also commends us on the sound quality that we're trying. We're very <laughs> so, very aware of the sound quality. It took us a also, long time to get there, but we got there in the end. Yeah, finally, after like 50-plus episodes. Uh, iTunes, uh, also another five stars from Hubu. Best airline product podcast ever. Thank you so much. That's, That's really kind. cool to say, yeah. And we also get like a few messages at G-E-R underscore N-S. Gerardo say that congrats to a really interesting podcast. I'm halfway through all the episodes. Oh, my God. You're a glutton <laughs> for punishment, man. But he, he, he will actually witness this evolution of sound That's and also true. probably the, the speed. Because you remember, when I, when I listened to the first episodes, I mean, not that I do that very often, but I'm like, we were slow and some stuff didn't work. It's yeah. really funny to see that. And we also, and I'll finish with that, we had a message from a 777 Emirates captain, Yeah, actually. that was so cool. That's so cool. He says, keep up the good work and maybe a see ya on one of my flights soon. Well, you know what? I will clearly tell you next time I'm flying because I'm flying to Manila, probably on Emirates this uh, July. So I will clearly actually ask you if you are the captain because I would just even have a peek at, on the, you know, the, the flag deck. Thank you so much. I really, really do appreciate that. It's really, really cool. That's so cool. Thank you for taking the time to do that, guys. Talking about the flight deck and captains, uh, this news, obviously everybody shared it and it's so fun. On the king of the Netherlands, who has been, <laughs> who has been story. hiding the fact that yeah. for the past 20 years he's been, uh, he was not the captain, he was the first officer. Well, he kept actually doing, I think, twice a week, he was doing short haul with KLM, the national carrier of the Netherlands. How cool is it's that? It's so cool on a Fokker. Yeah, on a Fokker. And I think the story came out because since KLM is winding down Fokkers, he's actually retraining currently for 737s. Yeah. And I think that's how the, the story went out. But I mean, come on, this is amazing. It's wonderful. I mean, several members of the royal family here are pilots, including yes. Prince William and Prince Harry. But none of them, I don't recall, well, have ever flown commercially that we know about. That we know about. Maybe yeah. one of them's a senior <laughs> captain with BA and we just haven't heard. But I just think this is a lovely story. Uh, so it's cool. amazing, yeah. And he says that since he, he's been the first officer, so he was actually the one, you know, doing the PA announcement, but he would only announce the name of the captain. He would never actually acknowledge his own name. So people <laughs> might have maybe sometimes recognized his voice, he admits, but that's as far as it goes. Maybe people will give him strange looks like, oh, you remind me of someone. Yeah, actually. exactly. But such a great story. It's such a great story, honestly. Such a great story. So um, what other trips have you done? On the back of, when I went to... Uh, Frankfurt, I then jumped on a Lufthansa flight to Paris, and that was fine. Charles de Gaulle. To Charles de Gaulle, yeah. Oh, well, you remember, that's when actually we, there was this one universe collapsing. We were in the, same, we're in the same, same city, but yeah, same airspace, same time. So but that was on, when, sorry. when I was in Paris, I flew out of Orly back to Heathrow. Oh, yeah, wow, my God. <laughs> and and <laughs> I'd never, oh, I hadn't flown out of Orly probably since I was about 14 years old, and so? I've forgotten what a, what a crap shack <laughs> that airport is. It's nice to see how much, of, how, they're like, you know, you get out and you look at this sort of this detention center, but then you can see <laughs> like they're building this beautiful glass terminal. So that's exciting. But the flight was in this weird pier almost of four yep. gates, maybe. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. With a underground lounge. 
which was... It's not too bad. The BA1. Yeah, the BA1, the 212, whatever. I mean, it's not a great lounge, but come on. It would only, it's one of the only, I think we talked about that with the other as an airport. It's one of the only lounge past security. Yes. And it's, uh, at least it's you have some views. It's fine if there isn't standing room only. Because your flight was delayed. No, 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 no. It was standing room only before it was delayed because... Oh, my God. And this, this, this is ridiculous. This is what frustrates me a little bit about BA. Yes. So the weather came in and there were like end of the world thunderstorms. And our <laughs> flight was our inbound flight. I was watching it on Plane Finder and I was watching it come in and I was like, okay, you know, we're not going to be on time. Maybe we'll be about 20 minutes late. And then I watched it come in and come in and come in and then altitude and speed increase, increase, increase. <laughs> and they flew a missed approach and we were all waiting in the priority line. By this point, there were 55 people in the priority boarding line and six people in the normal boarding. That's not an exaggeration. Those are the actual numbers because I counted them because I was like, this can't be right. And people were like cutting in, like waiting aside going, this obviously is not the priority boarding queue. I'm going to stand to the side of it. And then you'd have some of the more confident members of the uh, (laughs) British Airways Executive Club going, back of the queue, man. This is actually the line. Anyway. Watch the flight come in again, come in for approach, and go around again. And at that point, they gave it away, and they diverted to Brussels. (laughs) Did you know why? They couldn't. They were. I mean, I went back, because I'm going to include this in my attache video. I I found the air traffic control audio of missed approaches, and they did not sound like they were having a good time. I think they were either had a lightning strike or they were getting thrown around because they sounded stressed out. They went over to Brussels to get away from this weather because there was no way they were going to get into Paris or either airport. Yeah, so they huh. went and they parked at Brussels and they waited for the weather to clear and then they tried again. Meanwhile, a bunch <laughs> of people were in the lounge and like literally standing room only. It was hotter than sin. So I just stayed in the in this terminal. Meanwhile, an Air France 777-300 was loading up to go to Reunion. And I was <laughs> like, do I, why don't they go? I think, so I'm going to come with you guys. It sounds way better than hanging around in this terminal for four hours. <laughs> but eventually the flight landed safely, and that's really all you care about. You, you know, you can't get mad about a weather delay. It's, it's nobody's fault. No, but it fault. just happened. It, it just, just happens. That, that happens. But it's frustrating because then for you, I know you have your car, and you still have to drive back home. It had so been a like, long oh flight. Like I you know, yeah, landed yeah, yeah. at Frankfurt at 4 o'clock in the morning morning local i don't think i got home until one o'clock in the morning but that's what you know no it's it It is is what it is is. yeah yeah. Um, it's a it's a very heavy season of speaking gigs both of us were traveling all around the world so i've done like uh Quite a few as well. I'm not going to go through all the travels. They're not all very interesting. I've done Aegean. Uh, I hadn't done it for a few, almost a year to Athens. That was really, you know, they're still really good, honestly. I they mean, just it's, posted it's a, good... a really big quarterly loss, didn't they? I've read that as well. So I hope, I mean, you know, it's nothing, you know, it's, it's 320s and 321s and, you know, there's nothing out of the ordinary for Europe, you know, mm-hmm. still like normal seats and whatever. But I always find, I commend them for the, they're trying a good quality of service, which sometimes, lacks in other short hauls in Europe. So yeah. that, that was good. I flew quite a quite a few times with Lufthansa as well. I had I was in Linate, so Milan, the small airport, the one is actually in Milan, not the not Malpensa, which is like in Spain or something, right. because you have to get like five hours to get there. And uh, I had what you just experienced. It was the first in a very, very long time. You were like on final, we're like very close to the runway, suddenly like you feel the power of the thrust. You're like, my God, what's going on? And it was mm-hmm. like he pulled up again. And that was really cool because the captain, uh, after, of course, having to do a 
approach and you know kind of going up again and going to a holding pattern went on the PA and explained us what happened like step by step and he said apparently the flight that had just taken off before we were supposed to land had hit something probably an animal on the runway so they had to you know send vehicles to check like the runway was clear oh wow uh, yeah so we had to wait then like 20 minutes and holding pattern and go but, but that feeling you're like it's almost like in a roller coaster you're about you know the flight is descending and the speed is reduced suddenly boom you're like oh my god what happened you know and, and me it was like oh we have a flat tire or something right <laughs> yeah yeah wow, wow that, that was quite impressive so um uh, we'll talk about linate one of these days I've done also a few trips with Swiss oh, to my beloved Zurich airport because it's always so good. I've done stops at Frankfurt, which is not my beloved Frankfurt because you have to go through that tunnel that gets you forever. I never, I mean, I don't understand. I mean, the tunnel, I, I get it, but uh, I don't un- really understand the fact that there's, you know, there's a people mover, you know, these like, uh, you know, flat escalators. I don't mm-hmm. know how you call them. But then at the end of it, there's no like escalators. It's just you have like either stairs or like a one or maybe two lifts. It's a bit cramped. And I don't know why they never invested more of that. It, probably because it's non-Schengen. You know, we have to suffer through the fact that yeah. we are like uh, outsiders. Interesting, though, I stopped again in Munich and I actually didn't realize that Munich, you know, I was there, I land there and I'm like, I don't know this part of the airport. And I I don't know the name, you know, the gate numbers. They're very strange. And it was empty, like completely empty, early empty. And then I had to go into a little subway, a little train that gets me to the main terminal. So they have a satellite that they just opened a year ago, apparently, and mm. I didn't know that. And it's still like underutilized, but it's very nice. You know, I mean, you said, I think, creepy, but I like it when you have like a empty terminals, almost brand new. Yeah. It's like, uh, that's that's a nice feeling. I took a few pictures, of course, and filmed a bit as well. So that was, uh, that was really cool. So I'm saying to Frankfurt, you should also buy one of those trains actually to move us around. Not that I'm lazy, I like to walk, but this underpass is really bad. Yeah. Uh, the, the other thing, have you been in the first class lounge at uh, Terminal 5 in Heathrow recently? Um, six weeks ago? Because you remember we talked, and I forgot to tell you, we talked about the fact that BlueSmart, uh, I think I talked about BlueSmart in a galleries lounge. Actually, BlueSmart also had advertising in the first class lounge. You could actually there lift the luggages, mm-hmm. you know, test them. The week later when I get back, there's only the ad and no more actual suitcases. Oh, that's I don't know why. Yeah, that was very bizarre. But I signed up to the competition to win one. So maybe at one point you'll have to mock me because I will, well, I will no, win I a Well, no, I think it will be very interesting to try it out. And now it's removed. I went there, when was it, uh, two days ago, yesterday? We're recording today, May 31st. It was uh, May 29th. I was again in that lounge. We'll talk about that BA bug that uh, disrupted all travel because I saw the tail end of that. So Blue Smart has now disappeared and it's been replaced by another ad for uh, yet another luggage. This time, I don't know if it's smart by the fact that there's like cables and what's not in the, in the thing. Have you seen this luggage, which is like a you know, composite? plastic you have one main luggage a train you can add another one on top you can combine different aspects it's like almost like a configurable suitcase have you seen that oh no i haven't seen that one i thought you were talking about the uh the one that looks like it's kind of beat up and crappy and you're supposed to use it in places where you might get um hassled so it's, it's called boogaboo i don't know if i pronounced that correctly so oh, they, one, yeah they make the um the, there's they, a chassis there's a chassis like oh you know with, with yeah. the wheels on they top make, of it you um, can, they make strollers that's where they come exa- from yeah and they have like the they call it the boxer travel case which yep, is the yep, main yep. suitcase which is a bit big and on top you can have the a smaller one that you can attach on top of the big one 
they have a booth, and the booth is actually really nice. I'm not sure I would actually buy that, but actually, that's actually pretty cool. Their their the, strollers are like the Ferraris of strollers of buggies. They're like they're they're like 900 quid. Oh my god! Yeah, I'm, I'm not even thinking maybe about maybe even a thousand. Yeah, there's one here that's a thousand. No, oh, wow. See, I don't know how much this this one actually costs. So I'm not gonna buy that. But the interesting bit. This is what I want. I'll to tell you how much it'll so, cost. Eight hundred. Uh, pounds oh my god no way i mean <laughs> come on i mean a travel pro or like a normal suitcase is like a good one a very good one is four or five hundred dollars right? yeah this is yeah. eight hundred no that's that's <laughs> plus it's uh, i don't like i like uh, my suitcases that are a little bit flexible so not like me this, too uh, yeah i'm always surprised when people have those kind of metallic i mean they look great yes, maybe that's why people, they look. people get them but I need a little bit of, you know, flexibility, yeah. as you say. Yeah, me too. I like the slightly expendable so you can adapt. I mean, I don't know. So I was flying to Edinburgh, first time in Scotland. It was a very short trip. And I arrive at the gate. They have now electronic gates at Ether T5. And two weeks ago, they weren't there. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah, a couple of weeks ago, they certainly weren't there. Uh, when you pass security, you have to tap your barcode, whether it's your phone or printout or whatever. That's what I realized after the fact. It takes a picture of your face at the same time as you do that. So when I went to that uh, gate, I had to go through, even though I was premium, and I'll tell you why in a second, uh, you do the same thing, and I guess you have to look at the camera, and the camera matches that it was the same face as before, because they don't have any other biometric information about you, I guess. so. It's no passport involved or whatever. So interesting. I'll test that tomorrow morning. I'm flying to Madrid, so I'll see if uh, anything changes. Was it on uh, all of the gates? It seemed to be I was uh, at the A, Terminal A, so the A gates. The ones I've seen there were. I'll see tomorrow. I'll let you know tomorrow if I see that for more gates. But they seem to have installed those very recently, which is a good thing. We, we talked about Gatwick and all these automated airports are mm-hmm. good. So I hope they, they multiply this. You mentioned you were in the standing room only. And that made me think, actually, that... Even when you do like priority boarding with BA, basically any kind of status with his bronze, silver, uh, and obviously gold mm-hmm. can get access to it. Yeah. And pretty much the same for lounges, even though lounges are differentiated in big airports within uh, like Heathrow, obviously, because it's a hub airport. And I realized that actually on other airlines, like for instance, Lufthansa, the priority boarding is reserved to business class and first class, if, if that exists, travelers, and gold status, only the highest ranking or BA, it seems like everybody is actually yeah. lining up on the priority boarding. Yeah, and I think, you know, lounge access, I think it's sensible to be a little bit more generous with it. I agree. Because yeah. to be fair to BA, my lounge experience in Orly was the exception, not the rule. Usually there's Correct. plenty of, of space no matter where you are in the world, except maybe San Francisco. It's a bit bit crappy there, but I think that's a temporary one. But the boarding thing drives me cuckoo bananas. It really <laughs> does because everybody has priority, therefore nobody has priority. And it's so inconsistently enforced. You know, some yes. people are militant about it. And that's what I really appreciated at Cathay. They had a first in business class line for boarding line. and yep. then a an economy and premium economy line and then when they right before you board they come along the line and they check your passport and your boarding pass yep. when they saw that i was first they moved me over to a separate line uh, i had and, a very similar experience in paris because i was gold so i was considered i actually was in the first class line although of course i was business class because i was gold thus emerald on uh, one world it was i was just gonna say the gold people as well or or emerald on one world in or cathay's marco polo program but yeah i th- that's really important 
important. And actually, you know what's interesting, and I wonder if this will happen with those gates that you're experiencing at Schoenfeld, and we'll talk more about this towards the end of the show, you can't even go through security unless it's within three hours of your departure. But there's no one there. You scan your boarding pass and it says, "Uh -uh, too early, go get a beer. (laughs) I hate that. I also hate that, but I think it's sensible so that if you've got a reasonably compact terminal, which they do post-security... It doesn't get crazy. I wonder if it'll get to the point where with those gates, you scan it and it's like you're not gold or whatever the actual thing is, you know. um, You don't get through. Yeah. Or even if it's like 65% of the quote unquote priority passengers, gold, business and first have boarded. Therefore, we relax the criteria for people coming through. The reason I was talking about Lufthansa's before is also they have in German airports these gates for quite a long time already. But if you are a business uh, ticketed passenger, obviously first again, or if you have a senator, which is their gold, mm-hmm. this line gets to a person. The person welcomes you, scans your uh, boarding pass, and you enter. And after this goes through, uh, including you know assistants and small children, mm-hmm. then the rest of the passengers go through the gate. Uh, whereas BA was everybody through the gate, besides again assistants and small children. So there's no right policy. I'm just saying it's interesting to see how different airlines create that same experience. We're talking before yes. about maybe Lufthansa believes that the fact that you're talking to someone because you're a valued customer to them makes a difference. And thus, that's why they make you pass through, say hello to someone for the rest. Not, I don't know, but it's interesting. I, I just hope that we never arrive at the system that they have in the US when you have like 25 sections and, and you don't know which section you are and yeah. it's a whole mess and people like get in fights. You know, there was a fight, I think the other day, which airline was it? There was a video again, like of people fighting because the flight was delayed and they fought in front of the gate. I mean, mm-hmm. crazy stuff again. I mean, again and again and again. Like we, we're not going to dwell, by the way, guys, because we had other comments about these old disruptive passengers. I think we leave it aside for the moment. We'll come back to it at some point. We don't want to be talking about disruptive passengers in every episode and that Mr. Dow. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's no matter it's, how. Again, it's the exception, not the rule, right? Absolutely. Oh, yeah. And to that Edinburgh flight, it was really cool because on the way there, I was on the 321, the XBMI, so I had a lifelike seat for um. 55 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> we always say to people, you know, use uh, obviously Seat Guru because Seat Guru actually will tell you what are the best seats in, in a flight. The other tool that we mentioned a few times, but not enough probably, is called something called Expert Flyer, expertflyer.com, which doesn't really work well on, on mobile, by the way, guys. It's a website. So BA, you know, was showing me that there were multiple 321s during the day going to Edinburgh. I went on Expert Flyer and you can have the live seat map of each of those flights, which seats are taken or not. And this is how you clearly recognize the 321 from BA and the 321 that used to belong to BMI. And those are the ones that's very few that have lie flat seats in the in the front of the cabin. Yeah. So I recognize the layout and I chose, of course, specifically that. <laughs> which, it, which strangely was no more expensive than a 320. It was the same, similarly priced. On the way back i took the white body the 767 cool and it was actually less expensive than a 320 i don't know why by the way but it was that doesn't make any sense 
No, but that, that, that's why actually I chose it at first. I press O. Oh, this is the cheapest. Of, and, and it was a seven six seven. I'm sure there's uh, a reason. I just can't figure it out. And it was almost uh, almost full, you know, because these flights are uh, almost commuter flights because this was an early morning flight. That Express at Edinburgh will do Edinburgh one day as well. Uh, they have a pretty good lounge BA there, but I'll talk about it in another episode. The one thing that was really fun is that we get you know got to this gate exactly like you said, Edinburgh. This, the gate was the very last one of one of the piers, so there was impossible to create lines so people were just stacked in front of it and then they're starting calling you know the people who have status and people were like sorry and moving i mean even though with all the britishness about respecting lines it was just a mess and we go to a bus i'm like oh my god this is such a small airport we have a bus why is it happening and the bus goes and actually crosses the runway i'm like why and then we go like we're like next to a warehouse and like what is going on here and so amazing, the plane was parked in the cargo bay. So I had a DHL plane on the other side, a Star Air, which must be another cargo company that I'd never heard of on the other side. In the middle, this white body BA-767. The captain let us know uh, later that the reason they were parked there is that when they arrived... One of the white bodies from another airline was late. They couldn't get a gate, so they made them park in the cargo area. So that was really fun. This is really cool, actually, to to board next to a DHL flight. But it was it made us like forty five minutes late because to transport all the passengers and apparently to put all the luggages, you know, I guess the, these little trucks had to make a longer way. There were everything was either anyway. It, it was a fun fun experience uh, to go there. And those are great. Those those seven sixty sevens. Yeah, like you said, they're vintage, right? They're because- vintage. Yeah, they 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 have. They, I mean, I don't know about how yours was, but certainly last time I flew on one, there was like all the old CRT monitors. Although they've replaced the drop down ones, haven't they? Yes, they did. With yes. L- with still, LCDs. Uh, the seats seemed the same as 25 years ago. I think my plane was 24, 25 years. The entire plane doesn't look to have to be upgraded. And I was telling you, there was one flight crew, very nice, and I'm not saying that negatively, who looked like Gandalf. And he was probably also as old <laughs> as... <laughs> he was really great, by the way. Here, guys, I'm not mocking. I'm just saying this guy was like... He seemed he was like 85 and being like one of the main flight attendants. It was super cool, but I was like, yeah, the plane aged at the same time as the crew. And I don't think they're actually training new crews for that plane. No, I can't imagine there would be. Or pilots. Anyway, we're in the UK. Sorry, guys, we talked a lot about the UK, but I mean, the big, 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 big news was this big, 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 big bug that happened in London and that domino effect all around the world for BA. Basically, the entire airline was grounded. All over the world. That's crazy. What happened? If we know. I don't think we know. I don't think anybody has actually figured it out just yet. The story is that their entire IT infrastructure failed. Not just the reservation system everything. So they couldn't load manifest. They couldn't even move airplanes. And so very quickly when they realized, I think, the magnitude of this problem, all flights out of Gatwick and Heathrow were canceled. And then people were- All inbound as well. Yeah, all inbound as well. So they were basically, the whole airline shut down. And it (laughs) it took them a full day to even get any planes off the ground. And then it was sort of 35%, 75%, 100%. But they're still mopping up today. And what, what are we now- Wednesday today, this event happened on Saturday, and people's luggage is still uh, waiting to be reunited with them. And I think everybody is where they're supposed to be. And of course, you know, now the numbers are looking at around 150 million pounds 
in cost to BA in compensation, U-261 compensation and, you know, all of the other hotel accommodation and rebooking and, and all of that stuff that they're liable for on top of any potential lawsuits. The cost people talk about from 90 to 300 million, depending on what you ask. Uh, it's, uh, I think you had that uh, comment on Twitter the other day. I mean, they basically wiped out a lot of the, the cost-cutting measures they were trying by just a single day of, yeah. of incident. Yeah, I mean, they've spent three years pinching the pennies and uh, pinching the pennies, pinching the pennies. <laughs> and, you know, we said in a couple of episodes previous that maybe we're starting to see the fruits of this coming. Not anymore. Not anymore. <laughs> They've just <laughs> wiped out three years of penny pinching with... And, of course, there's all of the armchair analysts and, and CEOs who have speculated that... You know, not even speculated that one of the biggest unions at BA have said this is because of IT outsourcing. They just had to let go a lot of mm -hmm. the IT people and outsource to a company in India. I don't remember the name. Me neither. I, it's, it's... <sighs> you know, I think that the, the official line from BA was, I don't know if it still is, a massive electrical surge triggered the entire thing yeah yes and i think but still you're like i know it's not relevant but i remember living in cyprus uh 2010 and uh the, <laughs> it's a crazy story the the army very cleverly had left a storage of ammunitions and explosives oh, next to the biggest power station in Cyprus, south of Cyprus. And because it was super hot during that summer, like temperatures reached like 50 degrees Celsius, well, that whole thing burst into flames and exploded and wiped out a brand new power unit they just had built. So I was living through brownouts. I mean, I'm not complaining, which, I mean, whatever. But I had like these UPS units mm -hmm. that basically, you know, make sure that your computer doesn't explode because the power just goes erratically. It seems a bit... I don't know. From it's a very armchair analysis. I, I totally see that, but it seems a bit much that a power surge would have such an effect on the entire IT system that the backups didn't go in place, that nothing happened. They should, you know, there should be redundancy in the system. If the main system fails, the secondary system takes over, and usually it's fully backed up and synchronized. Yeah. Maybe this time it was not synchronized. I don't know what happened, but clearly something wrong happened to have no system at all. Yeah, I think that's that's the real criticism here is that if their backup system was in place, it sounds like that during this transition of IT coverage, irrespective of if it was just within the organization or outsourced, that there was one of the things that fell through the cracks was the expertise for spinning up the backup systems. And from yeah. the last coverage that I read... They were able to spin up the backup system, but so much was out of sync. Yeah, exactly. That's also what I read as well. Unsynchronized data. Yeah. So they had to go back a few days before to a point where the data was in sync and restart from there. Because it was stories, crazy stories. There were people stranded, obviously, because Ether especially was full chaos. And people were actually already checked in. So they already airside. Mm -hmm. And uh, there was a story of this guy, you know, at the gate, he would scan his, his boarding pass. And one time he would say Oslo. And if he would rescan can the second time his boarding pass the second time we say buenos aires so the system was completely out of wow. whack he couldn't i guess you know of course they had to shut everything down because they couldn't know which passenger was going where with the the luggage was where the airplane were i mean it's really massive in the chaos i mean of course we've seen chaos like that they were like last year like i think was was it Delta uh, that had also like a yeah, massive yeah. IT issue mm -hmm. and they had to cancel 3,000 flights. But for some reason, in the Delta case, although it was big, it seemed that the recovery time to go back online and fly people seemed like uh, smaller. This yeah. People to this day are still being rebooked. So the company said that they will 
rebook you free of charge until November, any flight until November, or fully reimburse you, which, by the way, will also cost them um, a lot of money. But during the three days, let's say two and a half days of chaos, since they had no system, you couldn't even get rebooked because they couldn't <laughs> even know what you were. So let's say you, Alex, are at Ethro about to fly BA and you say, can you get me on a CX flight to Hong Kong instead? Since they have no data about you, they couldn't do that. People were simply locked. And because they were airside, the time to go out of the terminal, because it's not made for a lot of people to go out at the same time, the line to go out of the terminal, Ethro basically asked people to leave the terminal, yeah. was five hours. You had to wait for five hours just to being able to have your passport checked back to go out. Of the- I mean, what a mess. You know what's crazy, what? though? When this happened, IAG, who are the parent company of British Airways, their stock went through the floor. But it's right back where it was already. Yeah, but that's like United, right? Yep. It's uh, They're making money. I mean, let's be, you know, the cost-cutting measures made them money. I mean, now we'll see what happens. For me, the, the one thing that I was not really sure about was the entire response. When you remember mm. when the, for those old enough to remember or maybe living in the UK, I was not at the time when the T5 opened. There was a massive chaos as well. There, You know, the, the luggage system was not working, et cetera, et cetera. And... The then CEO of BA was there and was talking to the press live at all points. Here, the CEO of uh, BA, Alex Cruz, did the two videos on uh, Twitter. Yeah, those were uh, weird. Explaining the, the, the first one, that jacket? Yeah, he was wearing a high-vis uh, <laughs> vest Yellow, in yeah. an IT control room. Are you guys digging a hole to escape uh, Heathrow, or why do you have an IV's jacket when there's an IT problem? I, I mean, I guess I, I guess the, the signal was to say, you know, we're working on it, you know, we're like we're doing something. And also there have been leaks about the way the crisis was managed inside, where basically it was either you help us, you shut up. I mean, company morale and employee morale must be very, very low. I actually had, I cannot mention, but I actually had a conversation with someone from IAG recently, mm. post-crisis, and the word is that they don't even know what actually triggered the entire shutdown. Uh, they still, you know, the official line is a power surge, but they don't know, and that it, it's chaos inside. I bet, I bet. I, I'm sure that there are a lot of people who had have had very little sleep in the last few days, and, you know, they weren't responsible for it, but they had to fix it. And I'm sure that they were the same people who kept pointing out perhaps inefficiencies or deficiencies in whatever program failed. And, you know, I told you so isn't going to get 150 million pounds of revenue back. So the big question, do you think that Alex Cruz must go? Yeah. He said uh, repeatedly over the last uh, 24 hours that he won't be going anywhere. Again, the company makes money, so I don't know. Yeah, I mean, you know, as a shareholder, you look at the share price and you're like, well, it hasn't really cost us any money in the long term in terms of share value. But somebody's got to take responsibility because you've ruined a lot of people's plans. Yeah, with those who have no context, it was an extended weekend in the UK, plus it was uh, holidays for, yeah. Uh, yeah, for the kids. So there was a lot of families going for yeah. sometimes a yearly Missed vacation. Hotel rent- reservations, rental cars, honeymoons, wedding. And I know that in the big scheme of things, you know, you'll get over it and it's all fine. But, of course, you know, yeah, clearly. If, if you feel bad for those people and if he's going to get a fat bonus in a, in a quarter or two, I'd be pissed. I'd be really angry. Yeah, yeah. And I'd love to know who's going to fall on the sword for this, frankly. And they should just simply hire Christoph Muller, right? <laughs> yeah, or someone like Carolyn McCall. No, no, I mean, no. it would be... A, yeah. I, I, I love EasyJet, even though they pissed me off with the delay recently. But it's... I like them, and I think that she, she would she would be great for them. But I, I don't... I do agree. I don't know if it's going to happen. I really don't know if it's going to happen. 
No, I, I don't know. Guys, I told you I was at Heathrow on Terminal 5 on Monday morning early. It was better. The official line of uh, BA and Heathrow is if you don't have a ticket, do not come to the airport. And if you have a ticket, you're not allowed in the terminal 90 minutes before you actually fly, which for me, 90 minutes is always like, well, I'd like uh, to be yeah, a bit early like you. Uh, <laughs> and I, you just I, met... I, they had cops. They had, they had the police. Yeah, they had to. Yeah, yeah crowd control. There was also, yeah, I mean... This is where, you know, I'm like a bit, there was this person that was in line in Terminal 5 having all this issue and he just shouted, shame on BA. And oh, yeah. uh, BA sent to police and now BA has unofficially blacklisted or at least put a mark on his name next time he flies BA. What is this? I mean, people, come on. I understand that someone is maybe, you know, angry mm -hmm. and he was just shouting shame on BA. He didn't like attack anyone. It's a bit sad the way, you know, this whole crisis, in terms of crisis management, it doesn't look the best way to handle all this. No, it, it, absolutely. And there, it, I think, you know, your point earlier about the culture there at the moment is being brought to life in the front line. When that, that of course. is ridiculous what happened to that. It was, it was, that was reported by the Gulliver in The Economist, right? That he wrote a yeah, scathing that's a good, article because yeah. he was there trying to fly out and his flight was delayed eight Hours, hours. yeah, like eight that. hours, something like that. And the way yeah. that they handled that was really bad. I got barked at on my flight back from Paris for my bag being too big. And I was like, I've just done London, Hong Kong, Frankfurt, Paris on all non-BA characters. And no one blinked an eye at my bag. I don't understand why it's a problem. But she just talked to me like uh, I was, she was my teacher and I was in the first grade. But and you have status, right? Yeah, but I don't. You know, it could. No, no, no. I, I, I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that people without status, guys. I'm not saying that people without status should be barked on and not people with status. Mm -hmm. But if you have status, guys, you realize that suddenly people look at you slightly differently, and they will actually let you get away with more things. I'm not saying it's right. I'm not saying it's uh, more. Uh, no, you're right. High you're standard, right. but that's so, we are uh, better that's why I'm surprised. people. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'm not going to edit this out, Alex. <laughs> this but no, you're no, right. I think it's, it's you know, there. you look at a customer that spends a lot of money, you know, and again, you know, Paul and I spend a lot of our time in our big boy jobs looking at customer experience. And one of the things you do is, yes, you understand and are able to identify and not reward, but make them feel welcome, these repeat customers who bring you value. But then you also do the little things that make the people that are new to your experience feel like they're welcome and that you are different from everybody else. And they didn't do either of that. And they also, like the good companies also empower their employees, Absolutely. like you said, the, the front line to, to try to solve something. At some point, of course, they were overwhelmed. Even Twitter, yeah. uh, Twitter account uh, from BA stopped responding. I guess they were overwhelmed, so I'll give yeah. them a, a free pass here. Yeah. But they were like uh, videos. And, you know, I'm always uneasy about these videos. We had to talk uh, about that in the last episode. But there were videos of, uh, because again, they would ask passengers if they had no data about you since all the systems went down. They said, Please go and submit a claim. By the way, the BA website was down. Mm -hmm. So between the moment where you were at the airport and the next rebooking, you were on your own. And there were some people saying, yeah, but I have no money to spend four nights in a hotel. Yeah. And you have this video, for instance, that was not in London when one of the BA frontline says, well, if you don't have any money, it's not BA's problem. I mean, this is not an answer you give no. to a passenger who's distraught, right? And it, I'm not blaming even the, here the frontline. I'm not saying that every frontline is a great person. I'm not an idealist. But if you give proper training and empower these people, sometimes it gets better than... You know, she was clearly being attacked by passengers. Mm -hmm. So I'm, again, giving her a benefit of the doubt. But sometimes it seems that the culture is not right there no, as I, well. I, and I have to give 
while I remember, it's really important to me that when we were in, in Orly and we were dealing with this, it was four and a half hour delay in the end. The ground services team, who I am 99% sure were a third party ground handling company, they worked their butts off. They were literally running around the terminal getting information. They found a way to keep the little sandwich shop open way beyond their closing time and provided these delicious baguettes to the entire flight free of charge and paid for it with their own money. I'm assuming they'll be compensated, but they just, they just worked their socks off and no one gave them any hassle, nor should they have, because I think there would have been a lot of people who would have stood up for those folks because they were, it was a weather delay. They had, they had nothing to do with it and they just handled yeah. it really well. They worked hard. I also commend also the staff at Ethro and also Gatwick, although I've seen less images out of Gatwick. People were handed out water and, you know, so because Ethro is not responsible for BA's disruption and the staff, although overwhelmed, you know, they made an effort. It looked like, of course, it was chaos. Of course, you're unhappy when it happens to you. Of course, people get angry and you don't want to be stuck and you're mm -hmm. missing your holidays. So it's never going to be like easy to resolve. But the images show clearly that Ethro staff were trying their best to, they had no information because I guess there was no data, so they couldn't say anything, but they were handing out bottles of water and stuff. So we were trying. I think in that case, Ethro was probably more prepared to handle that situation. Yeah. Than BA. I'm not sure. I'm not here to diss BA or flight BA. More often than not, the, the experience is great. I just flew them many times this month. Uh, yeah, I know we have status. So sometimes we might be also considered slightly differently. It's, it's true that when you have status, for instance, when there's a rebooking, you placed higher in the list, meaning you will be rebooked super quickly compared to someone who has no status. So yep. we know. By the way, there was a. Have you seen that on, on Twitter? I think it was the Associated Press. I think I retweeted that. Uh, I'll put it again maybe on the Twitter feed. There was this video that was made they filmed two people one yeah, person with that was so interesting with status and the other one without and i get that maybe some of even other listeners although i guess that a lot of listeners here are av geeks and probably know their travel etc we know this is why i started the show by first world problem we know that some of our experiences besides even being the premium cabin because we've traveled a lot mm -hmm. because we're used to it because we have status is not what most people experience we totally get that yeah absolutely but i don't think it should change the overall customer experience ethos Agreed. and culture within organization and i think that that's where the asian carriers have it's a bit of a generalization but i think it's an accurate one can compete even if the product is inferior. But I think what this is really exposed with BA is that if they didn't have Fortress Heathrow and had all those juicy slots, they would be in a lot of trouble. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Probably. So who yeah. knows? I'm sure this isn't going to be the last time we talk about this. We'll have to wait and see what the eventual fallout is. But yeah. wow, yeah, that was uh, that dominated the headlines here in the UK for a few days. I'll finish with uh, a quote of the end of the article of The Economist that you mentioned earlier. BA has a dominant position in terms of takeoff slots at Heathrow, Europe's busiest hub. On the basis of this weekend's performance, it does not deserve it. You know, that's definitely worth keeping in the back of our minds. I don't think anything is going to change, but I, I kind of agree. So let's stay in, in Europe. eBase. eBase is a trade show that happens in Geneva on the tarmac of Geneva Airport. It's for business jets. So it's really catered to corporates or very high net worth individual. I was, I was lucky to go there a few years ago, twice actually, and you know, to sit in these fantastic uh, private jets, which reminds me, I have to tell you about the Biggin Hill story yeah, at some point. Yeah, we really need to get that because I've been waiting to hear about this. <laughs> I'm building suspense for yeah. the next episode. 
And um, usually, you know, these planes are Gulf Streams and a few, you know, special VIP 737s, etc., etc. But this time, a market that is super tiny, but 380s for head of states. I love this. This article is hilarious where it talks about the head of state market. They're going <laughs> to they're gonna put them into the head of state market. Like, that's a thing. You know, it, it's like the millennial market, right? The born digital <laughs> and then the head of state. I'm born super rich. That's my... Yeah, yeah. My Boy, yeah, exactly. Oh, my God. I love it. Because, yeah, Singapore Airlines is apparently ditching the 380, which I think is a shame. But they came out and said this a couple of years ago that they weren't going to re renew the leases. And so the, <laughs> these planes are being offered to the head of state market. So you might see very, very soon... A VVIP A380, and there's already 7478, a few of them. Yeah, and, actually, uh, yeah, a few of them, yeah. Dreamliners. I'm sure but there's an A350 at Toulouse somewhere that's being worked on for somebody special. But yeah, but the 380, that's really big. I know, oh, man. God. I think it's crazy. I think that since the 380 secondary market is just not materializing, that you'll actually be able to snap one up for pretty cheap, all things considered. Because what are they going to do? Scrap them? Do you want to buy one? Do we like yeah, a, let's just do a like layover. A, a, kick, a, kick, yeah, a Kickstarter comeback. Guys, guys, do you want to offer us? We need to find also a space to can park it, but don't worry, we'll take good care of it. But it, I, yeah, you said two things very important. First is that Singapore Airlines hasn't ordered any new ones, so basically they're ditching the 380. Mm. For context, usually the expected timeline uh, lifetime of these uh, are like 12 years, yeah. weird, which they will be a glut at some point because uh, some of the Emirates A380s will also arrive at 12 years. What will happen with them? There's not enough head of states that have enough money, even if every ever head of state in the, in the world could afford one. At some point, there's there's no secondary market for these things. I don't know. No, there isn't. And I, I think that that's kind of what panicked Airbus. And Emirates, I think we talked about this several episodes ago. You know, they see these as having a 10-year lifespan and they have... They have no qualms about just putting them in the desert or or whatever makes the most financial sense. Yeah, that's, but that's what they modeled against. Some of the least companies that took a risk on going for those yeah. ones will have some of these big birds on their hands. This is why they're playing with that. They say, okay, we're going to refit these planes for head of states. They have or to make a individual. market. There was, I remember, it was the Prince Al-Walid from Saudi Arabia that was like... What, 10 years ago almost? Because at the very beginning, Airbus was thinking of doing 380s for VVIPs. We're talking, you know, 10 years ago, mm -hmm. the, almost at the launch of the product. And I remember this amazing image of uh, Prince Al Walid coming down at Dubai Air Show from his. 747 VVIP and going in front of the Airbus and signing the order and saying, okay, oh, he's yeah. going to do the first one. And then he ditched the order, by the way. <laughs> he never actually says it was never a VVIP, but that was the only guy that ever thought about getting one. It. So now you have four of them for the head of state market. I don't know. We'll see. Maybe, maybe, I don't know. Let's create our own state. Alex. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. It'll be the new must have accessory for the, uh, for the ultra rich. By the way, uh, before we go to the pre to the last news and then to the airport, I read I don't have it in front of me, but I read that a BA has put an interest in the Chinese Comac. I did not see that. That's yeah, surprising. They're not making a proper order or whatever, but they're looking at it as an option. Huh. So I don't know if it's a pressure to any other manufacturer, but they're looking at it. It's wow. Interesting. Right? And talking about that, that was not supposed to be in the news as well. But have you seen that Boeing is like attacking Bombardier, telling yeah, them they're so subs they heavily subsidized? Yeah. The, Come on, that's the, the pot calling the kettle black. If I've ever seen it. <laughs> <laughs> I do agree. 
I don't think any airline buys any airplane on the price tag. No. There's always discounts. So this time, of course, they say that, you know, Canada helped Bombardier. The Bombardier was able to sell for Delta things. Anyway, I like Bombardier. I like their planes. The more competition is good. One piece of news about one app that I keep using. It's a bit of a game. It's called Jet Lovers. Uh, yeah. I've mentioned it several times. The one reason I actually like Jet Lovers is that it works by simply following you, your data on uh, Facebook, Foursquare, and Twitter. So I use mostly Foursquare for that. So if you put like uh, London Heathrow as your last check-in with Foursquare, and then the next one is, let's say, but Schoenfeld for you, it will automatically create the route. And then on the website itself, which is mobile-friendly, you can put the flight number, and that's the bit I really like. It automatically finds the registration number out of the database. Nice. I use it to simply have the registration number of all my flights. I don't really care about how many miles I've flown, etc. It gives you some nifty stats, etc., about how many flights you flew this month and how many miles this month and what were the best years, etc. So you might like jetlovers.com. The reason I mentioned it, they are releasing, I think it's new.jetlovers.com. They're releasing a new design. It's pretty cool, guys. If you like this geeky stuff, check it out. It's it's worth actually checking it out. And uh, now to Schoenfeld. So how is it? Did you like it? Did you not like it? What are the context of you going there? Uh, we, uh, we were there filming Attaché, which I'll be out in a couple of weeks. I hadn't really spent much time in Berlin before, so I was really, really enjoyed it. Yeah, I mean, the airport is, well, Berlin, Brandenburg was supposed to open in 2010. And at that point, <laughs> the both Tegel and Schoenfeld were supposed to start winding down their operations. Here we are, 2017, and we've talked about this in previous episodes. The airport is still at least two years away from opening. And not only that, far from winding down their operations, it sounds like Tegel and Schoenfeld are going to stay open indefinitely to oh, wow. pick up the slack for the seven plus years of delays from Berlin-Brandenburg. Yeah, it, it feels very temporary. It's not an unpleasant airport. It's small. It, it's primarily the hub for the low-cost carriers. We went out on EasyJet, and there were a lot of Ryanair flights there, LL fly there. Um, well, yeah, a lot of the low-cost Norwegian had a lot of flights in and out of there. It's small. You can tell they've bolted things on to try and keep a... You know, to keep up with this growing capacity to get in, there's a there's a train station, so you can take the S Bahn, which is leaves more frequently, but actually, how long how long does it take to go to the city? With well, that? if you take the S Bahn, it actually stops all the time, so it takes quite a while. If you take the regional trains, which uh, only leave every half an hour, they hardly stop at all, and you can be at at uh, Hauptbahnhof in about thirty minutes. Uh, okay, it's good because I think Tegel is slightly closer than Schoenfeld, but it's only uh, only bus. Yeah, and Schoenfeld is uh, south east, uh, east mm-hmm. and Tegel is northwest. northwest. Yeah. yeah, I think. Okay. So yeah, for us, it was, this the timings worked out because we yeah. wanted to get there super early in the morning, film all day, film all day the next day, and then fly out late that night. And that worked out. Actually, we got a little extra time because our EasyJet flight was delayed uh, leaving. <laughs> but like you know, when you when you check in. I was saying to Nick, who was filming the episode with me, and you go through, you're going to your gates. It really feels like you're in a kind of refugee processing facility. (laughs) It's like, (laughs) it's dark and cement walls and and flickering fluorescent lights and damp puddles everywhere. And then they take you into this sort of port-a-cabin type thing, and then you get on a bus and you go out and, and experience it. But what's weird is that you can... Berlin is just a weird place for airports, not just because of the Brandenburg thing, but Tempelhof, which was the airport from the 1930s until 2008, I believe, 
is still there. And when it was open for a long time, it was one of the 20 biggest buildings on Earth. And it's this huge 1930s kind of curved, beautiful building if you can sort of set aside its original intent in your brain and appreciate it just purely architecturally. It's stunning. And they put it to the people of Berlin, what should we do with this when it's no longer an actual airport? Should we tear it down? And they said, no, 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 no. let's turn it into a park. And so it is like all of the buildings are being repurposed for, like there's a startup incubator in there and there's a few yeah. other There's an event space as well. Yeah, there's event space and they're, they're turning it into, it's all quite temporary, but they're working hard to turn it into something more permanent. But the airfield itself is a park. So you can go and do your morning jog on one of the two runways. We went on a long walk around like on the taxiways and all of the taxiway signage is still there. All of the the lights and the lighted signs are all still there. I posted a couple of pictures on Instagram. So that was so cool. Can you look back at this terminal? What you really appreciate is not only the, the sheer size of it, but that the maintenance hangars were underneath the terminal. There's no gates, of course. This was kind of pre-gates. And yeah. so you have this beautiful curved structure with the the elevated terminals above it. And then you would almost have this like garage door that would open to hold these beautiful DC-3s and DC-4s if you, you know, if you project back onto it in time. But so, yeah, that was, it's so cool that you can do that. It's kind of a pain to figure out how you get in. But once you do, it's beautiful. And then what's weird is like going back to Schoenfeld for a second. As I mentioned earlier, you cannot go before three hours and there's very, very few facilities there, except what I would suggest is the worst lounge that I've ever been in. <laughs> like it's, it's up these back stairs and you go in and there's a disinterested guy who, who, did, who completely disregarded the, uh, the lounge club membership that I had. He's like, you bring in a friend and I don't care. There was, there was like, <laughs> well, that's... the tables were, had clearly had not been cleared for hours. The food was, well, there wasn't really any. And they, that Nick was brave and he ate it. Uh, he's <laughs> you, still alive. You're, you're describing the old the BA lounge at Athens airport. But anyway, oh go on. It was God. a disaster. Is it? So I, I, we were challenging each other. Of course, I didn't go to that lounge show. I cannot judge it. For me, the worst lounge ever, and I'm going to go back in a few weeks, is in Pisa airport in Italy, which is also like run down and there's not even seating. And it looks like you're like in 1935 and with actually 1935, never refurbished actually. And I mean, but yeah, is, was it the only lounge or was it the only ones you could have access to? It was the to? only lounge that I could see. Yeah. Oh, wow. Um, well, I know, yeah, because it is a low cost carrier airport yeah, of course, slash obviously. terminal. So there wasn't obviously. really was much there at all the view was out over to the time you know weirdly there was this sort of open air if you've been to stuttgart airport yeah on top of stuttgart airport it's this huge yeah. observation area there was yeah, a little yeah, mini yeah. one of those cleared with benches and everything but mm. no way to get into it and there was no one what? on it so it's clearly ah. been shut down but you had reasonable views from over the over the tarmac and of course on the other side of the of the airfield is berlin brandenburg just sitting there, <laughs> uh, seemingly done, but obviously yeah, not. I think it's it's a wiring or something. Remember the wiring, the wiring for is, the for the fire detection system. Yeah, or something. I think. It's not on spec, and they cannot open it because they're not sure that if, whether there's a fire, the doors will close automatically or whatever. Wow, it's, it's just it's, just it's, craziness. So because it, it like it taunts you because you see it right there, like 
guys, it's sitting there. It's like yeah. when you go, and I'll go back this summer, when you go to Manila, I mean, now it's changed because they opened it. There was for a long, long time, for other stories, and we'll talk about it in one episode, there was for the longest time a brand new terminal. And trust me, Manila Airport is one of the worst in the world. And you could see they are standing, like, guys, why are we not using that brand new thing? Are we going here? So, yeah, probably you must have that kind of feeling. Yeah, there. it was the weirdest, weirdest thing to be able to see this brand new but totally useless airport across wow. the I mean the nice thing was you you take a bus and you you know you wind your way through all of these airplanes and other than that it was it was fine everybody there was was pretty friendly but yes yeah, strange airport situation going on good and bad in Berlin <laughs> so not not good for a layover mm, no <laughs> I don't know what take was like I can't comment on that but Schoenfeld absolutely not <laughs> Well, that's one more reason for them to actually open yeah. this freaking new airport. I really hope they do. So next time, will you try Tegel instead? Yeah, I th I think so. It cannot be as bad. I mean, Schoenfeld as an airport really wasn't that bad. It does its job. We were off the plane and walking to the to the train station in three minutes. So, and that's the kind of litmus test for a really good airport. And it passed with flying yeah, colors. I agree. It's just a weird I situation as an airport ecosystem for a city. That reminds me, actually, now when you when you land uh, on final, if you're seated on the left-hand side of the plane with a window view at Athens Airport, which opened in 2001, uh, you can still see next to the sea the old, it's called Elinicon, the old airport. It's still there. You can still see the wow. runway. And I wish they would actually do a park or something because this is a great do space to do something. It, yeah. yeah, it would. I mean, of course, I get it. Greece is a crisis and whatever. But, I mean, it's, it's there, right? Or just organize runs so or making like as a, a car circuit or something yeah it would yeah be so, just so, like they, so cool. they've done that with a couple of the of the airports here in the uk the other thing that you you mentioned the architecture i'm also always baffled you must have seen it when you are uh, on the tarmac at uh, frankfurt airport and you see this huge anger from Lufthansa Technik mm -hmm. and it is like this architecture with like spikes and everything yeah. I don't need like super commanding like this I really love it Fortress Lufthansa yeah big time time anyway next flight Alex next flight Madrid just like you oh yeah <laughs> hold on you I'm not felt... doing it I'm not doing uh, it I can't make it work so there is a uh, LATAM have a flight from Frankfurt to Madrid on a 787 that I was trying to figure out if I could do I just can't make it work I might try and do it on the way back but I'm flying an easy jet because they'll that, again it's because they fly 400 times a day to Madrid I can pick whatever <laughs> time I want essentially to go so I may do it on the way back we'll see if I can make the timing work but it's so cool to I only discovered it as I was telling Paul because I had no idea yeah. someone no. wrote a, a trip report on airliners about taking this positioning flight from Frankfurt to Madrid in this beautiful LATAM 787 with what looks to be a very very good business class product for like it was like a hundred pounds yeah, it's super cheap. Yeah. Uh, so you were telling me that I was in an event yesterday. And whilst I was at the event, I was not listening. I was like, what? There's a lot of <laughs> because I go like, you know, Madrid every month. I'm like, next time. I'll... And I found that it does that. I only checked one week because I was in an event. I needed to pay attention. I found it on Monday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Sunday night. Uh, always like 7.30ish, uh, right. p.m. It goes to Madrid. So I will try to use it. Uh, it's really, I mean, people must laugh at us going through strange freaking routes to go to Madrid where there's a direct but this is really really it's fun interesting. yeah and it's a, a chance to experience an airline I'm probably not going to try and they're one world so I get my yeah. miles yeah, and exactly. points I used to fly the predecessors of LATAM you know TAM mm -hmm. and LAN, LAN you know yeah. back then in South America but having that in Europe which is a fifth freedom by the way is really 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 cool so I'm really uh, trying I hope they keep the service a little bit because I already booked so tomorrow 
Uh, to my flights, I'm going to Madrid tomorrow morning, uh, so the 1st of June, super early, 777 the way there, and back uh, the next day on Friday with Iberia code share nice. with a 340, so nice. uh, again, two, two white bodies to go to. Isn't that, isn't that crazy? <laughs> but I was not expecting the 777 to go there no, from BA, I guess. Yeah, they, every maybe. morning they do that, that position flight. Oh, but you know what? Yeah, I forgot to tell and we'll finish about that. I know, guys, that we're super long today. I did uh, Paris, Charles de Gaulle, oh, to yeah. London uh, with Air France, uh, you know, every year I do one Sky Team flight just to keep my mouth because I have a lot of them. I don't want to lose them. And uh, it was uh, the Dreamliner, the 787-9 so cool. that Air France just acquired. And, you know, I thought, I thought that, well, they're doing that, you know, to display the plane at first and to do simply like trials and everything. Apparently not. So maybe it will change. But the flight was completely full. And I realized that it's a flight that leaves at 7.30. We were late, but anyway, at 7.30 and arrive at 7.55 in London because there's one hour difference. Oh, yeah. it's, a, it's a perfect commuter flight. But don't you think and that they was, would have just thrown a clapped out 777 on it? I don't know. I mean, probably at some point they'll revert to that. I don't know what they had before, but it, it proved that. Uh, and a 320, even a 321, mm -hmm. would not have enough seats to cater. No. And of course, it was life flight seat. For some reason, I found the life flight seat on this Dreamliner of Air France, which is a much better seat that they used to have, but slightly below the quality of the one I saw on the 777 yeah, when I went to Beirut I uh, last seat. year. You know, it's similar to Cathay and all these, like these herringbones. Yeah. It's probably the same manufacturer with less, less, you know, fantastic stuff. And it's a, it's a good seat. I'm not, come on, again, we started with that. We'll finish that first world problem when we complain about a business class seat. Because honestly, going on a life flight seat for for 45 minutes is a really a first world problem, yeah. right? <laughs> on that, Alex, we'll record hopefully very soon because we travel slightly less this month. So we should be able to record within the next two weeks. And, uh... Thank you guys for all making the last episode actually one of our more successful ones yeah, in terms thank of you for uh, listening. audience. Oh, Mastication Nation. Alex went rogue. <laughs> he actually has his own podcast now. Bastard. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, really, thanks for mentioning it. It's a really, really, really cool podcast. Thank you for the shout out, by the no, way. No, no problem. Two. All about food. First one was on avocado. I don't eat avocado. <laughs> and, uh, and second one on burgers, letter B. Also very controversial. Uh, we agree on... We are eye to eye most, most things. Stuff. Yeah, most it's things. Very, I everything. was surprised by the amount of controversy and conversation that it generated. But uh, yeah, it's been fun. I do it with my little brother. Well, little brother, I shouldn't call him that. My brother. Well, <laughs> <laughs> guys, subscribe. I'll put the link in the show notes whenever I actually put the show notes on because. I've not done it for four episodes. It seems that nobody actually cares that I put the show notes or not. Uh, if you actually do care, tell me. Right now, I'm super busy to do them. But please complain to me, not to Alex, to me that I forgot to do the show notes. I promise you I'll put them back. And on that, safe travels. Safe travels, guys.